Chapter 4 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rocker, January 19, 2022, Westford, Massachusetts. Consuelo by Georges Sand. Chapter 4. In the midst of the general and somewhat exaggerated applause which the voice and manner of the debutante had drawn forth, a single auditor, seated on the extreme edge of his chair, his legs close together and his hands motionless on his knees, after the fashion of the Egyptian gods, remained dumb as a sphinx and mysterious as a hieroglyphic. It was the able professor and celebrated composer Popora, while his gallant colleague, Professor Millefiori, ascribing to himself all the honor of Anzaletto's success, plumed himself before the women and saluted the men as if to thank them even for their looks. The master of sacred song, with eyes bent on the ground, silent and severe, seemed lost in thought. When the company, who were engaged to a ball at the Palace of the Doge, had slowly departed, and the most enthusiastic dilettanti, with some ladies alone remained, Zustiniani approached the severe maestro. "'You are too hard upon us more moderns, my dear professor,' said he. "'But your silence does not impose upon me. You would exclude this new and charming style which delights us all.' But your heart is open in spite of you, and your ears have drunk in the seductive poison. Come, Sieur Professor, said the charming Correa, resuming with her old master the infantine manners of the squala. You must grant me a favor. Away, unhappy girl, said the master, partly smiling and partly displeased at the caresses of his inconstant pupil. There is no further communion between us. I know you no more. Take your sweet smiles and perfidious warblings elsewhere. There now, he is coming round, said Correa, taking with one hand the arm of the debutante, without letting go her hold of the white and ample cravat of the professor. Come hither, Zotto, and bow the knee before the most learned maestro in all Italy. Submit thyself, my child, and disarm his rigor. One word from him, if thou couldst obtain it, would be more to thee than all the trumpets of renown. You have been severe toward me, Signor Professor, said Anzaletto, bending before him with mock humility. Nevertheless, my only wish for four years has been to induce you to reverse your cruel judgment. And if I have not succeeded tonight, I fear I shall never have the courage to appear before the public loaded with your anathema. Child, said the professor, rising hastily and speaking with an earnestness which imparted something noble to his unimpressive figure, leave false and honeyed words to women. Never descend to the language of flattery, even to your superiors much less to those whose suffrage you disdain. It is but an hour ago since poor, unknown, timid in this little corner, all your prospects hung upon a hair, on a note from your throat. A moment's failure of your resources or the caprice of your audience. 
chance and the effort of an instant have made you rich, celebrated, insolent. Your career is open before you, and you have only to go on so long as your strength sustains you. Listen then. For the first and perhaps for the last time, you are about to hear the truth. You are in a false direction. You sing badly and love bad music. You know nothing and have studied nothing thoroughly. All you have is the facility which exercise imparts. You assume a passion which you do not feel. You warble and shake like those pretty coquettish damsels whom one pardons for simpering where they do not know how to sing. You know not how to combine your phrases. You pronounce badly. You have a vulgar accent of false and common style. Do not be discouraged, however, with all these defects. You have wherewith to combat them. You have qualities which neither labor nor instruction can impart. You have that which neither bad advice nor bad example can take away. You have the sacred fire. You have genius. Alas, it is a fire which will shine upon nothing grand, a genius that will remain forever barren. For I have seen it in your eyes as I have felt it in your breast. You have not the worship of art. You have not faith in the great masters nor respect for their grand conceptions. You love glory and glory for yourself alone. You might, you could, but no, it is too late. Your destiny will be as the flash of a meteor like that of... And the professor thrusting his hat over his brows turned his back and without saluting anyone left the apartment absorbed in mentally completing his enigmatic sentence. Everyone tried to laugh at the sententious professor, but his words left a painful impression and a melancholy feeling of doubt, which lasted for some moments. Anzaletta was the first who apparently ceased to think of them, though they had occasioned him an intense feeling of joy, pride, anger, and emulation, which was destined to influence all his afterlife. He appeared exclusively engaged in pleasing Correa, and he knew so well how to flatter her that she was very much taken with him at this first meeting. Count Sustiniani was not jealous and perhaps had his reasons for taking no notice of them. He was interested in the fame and success of his theater more than in anything else in the world. Not that he cared about money, but because he was a real fanatic in all that related to what are termed the fine arts. This, in my opinion, is a phrase which is generally employed in a very vulgar sense, and being altogether Italian, is consequently enthusiastic and without much discernment. The culture of art, a modern expression, which the world did not make use of a hundred years ago, has a meaning altogether different from a taste for the fine arts. The Count was a man of taste in the common acceptation of the word, an amateur and nothing more. But the gratification of this taste was the great business of his life. He loved to be busy about the public and to have the public busy about him, to frequent the society of artists, to rule the fashion, 
to have his theater, his luxury, his amiability, and his magnificence made the subject of conversation. He had, in short, the ruling passion of the great noblemen of his country, namely ostentation. To possess and direct a theater was the best means of occupying and amusing the whole city. He would have been happy if he could have seated the whole republic at his table. When strangers asked Professor Propora who was the Count Sustiniani, he was accustomed to reply, he is the one who loves to give entertainments and who serves up music at his theater as he would pheasants on his table. It was one in the morning before the company separated. Anzaletto, said Correa, went along with him in the embrasure of the balcony. Where do you live? At this unexpected inquiry, Anzaletto grew pale and red almost at the same moment. For how could he confess to the rich and fascinating beauty before him that he had, in a manner, neither house nor home? Even this response would have been easier than to mention the miserable den where he was in the habit of taking refuge, when neither inclination nor necessity obliged him to pass the night in the open air. Well, what is there so extraordinary in my question? asked Correa, laughing. I am asking myself, replied Anzaletto, with much presence of mind, what royal or fairy palace were fitting home for the happy mortal who is honored by a glance from Correa? What does all this flattery mean? said she, darting on him one of the most bewitching glances contained in the storehouse of her charms. That I have not that honor, replied the young man, but that, if I had, I should be content only to float between earth and sky like the stars. Or like the Cuchali, said the songstress, bursting into a fit of laughter. It is well known that gulls, Cuchali, are proverbially simple, and to speak of their awkwardness in the language of Venice is equivalent to saying in ours as stupid as a goose. Ridicule me, despise me, replied Anzaletto. I would rather you should do so than not think of me at all. Well, then, said she, since you must reply in metaphors, I shall take you with me in my gondola, and if I take you away from your abode, instead of taking you to it, it will be your own fault. If that be your motive for inquiry, my answer is brief and explicit. My home is on the steps of your palace. Go then and await me on the stairs below, said Correa, lowering her voice, for Zustiniani may blame the indulgence with which I have listened to your nonsense. In the first impulse of his vanity, Anzaletto disappeared and, darting toward the landing place of the palace, to the prow of Correa's gondola, counted the moments by the beating of his fevered pulse. But before she appeared on the steps of the palace, many thoughts had passed through the anxious and ambitious brain of the debutante. Correa, he said to himself, is all-powerful, but if by pleasing her I were to displease the count, or if, in virtue of my too easy triumph, I were to destroy her power and disgust him altogether with so inconstant a beauty. In the midst of these perplexing thoughts, Anzaletto measured with a glance the stair, which he might yet remount, and was planning how to effect his escape, 
when torches gleamed from under the portico and the beautiful Correa, wrapped in an ermine cloak, appeared upon the upper steps amid a group of cavaliers anxious to support her rounded elbow in the hollow of their hand, and in this manner to assist her to descend, as is the custom in Venice. Well, said the gondolier of the prima donna to the undecided Anzaletto, what are you doing there? Make haste into the gondola, if you have permission. If not, proceed on your way, for my lord count is with the signora. Anzaletto threw himself into the bottom of the gondola, without knowing what he did. He was stupefied, but scarcely did he find himself there when he fancied the amazement and indignation which the Count would feel should he enter the gondola with Correa and find there his insolent protégé. His cruel anxiety was protracted for several minutes. The Signora had stopped about halfway down the staircase. She was laughing and talking with those about her, and in discussing a musical phrase, she repeated it in several different ways. Her clear and thrilling voice died away amid the palaces and cupolas of the canal as the crow of the cock before the dawn is lost in the silence of the open country. Anzaletto, unable to contain himself, resolved to escape by the opening of the gondola which was furthest from the stair. He had already thrust aside the glass in its panel of black velvet and had passed one leg through the opening when the second rower of the prima donna, who was stationed at the stern, leaning over the edge of the little cabin, said in a low voice, They are singing. That is much as to say, you may wait without being afraid. I did not know the usual custom, thought Anzaletto, who still tarried not without some mixture of consternation. Correa amused herself by bringing the Count as far as the side of the gondola and kept him standing there while she repeated the Felissima Note until she had left the shore. She then came and placed herself beside her new admirer with as much ease and self-possession as if his life and her own fortune had not been at stake. Look at Correa, said Zustiniani to the Count Barbarigo. Well, I would wager my head that she is not alone in yonder gondola. And why do you think so, replied Barbarigo? Because she asked me a thousand times to accompany her to her palace. Is that your jealousy? Oh, I have been long free from that weakness. I should be right glad if our prima donna would take a fancy to someone who would prevent her from leaving Venice, as sometimes she threatens. I could console myself for her desertion of me, but I could neither replace her voice nor her talents, nor the ardor with which she inspires the public at San Samuel. I understand, but who then is the happy favorite of this mad princess? The Count and his friend enumerated all whom Correa appeared to encourage during the evening. Anzaletto was absolutely the only one whom they failed to think of. End of chapter 4